Hey everyone, my name is Maya and I'm an M1 at the Harvard MIT MD PhD program. My name is Kenneth. I'm an M1 at the Penn MD PhD program. We run Journey to the Double Doc, a YouTube channel, and now a podcast where we discuss MD PhD programs, science, medicine, and our paths to the Double Doc. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to our channel. Today we're going to talk about the different kinds of interviews that you will be encountering on the new trail for the MD PhD process. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about were more of like the MD side of interviews. Um, so specifically, we wanted to talk a little bit about MMI or multiple mini interview, and then also a bit about what more traditional MD interviews will look like. So the MMI is kind of a, a new format of interviews that's being piloted around a few schools around the country. So just to give an idea of where you'll see this, um, NYU, Duke, Stanford, um, a lot of Canadian universities, etc use the MMI and kind of the purpose of the MMI is to sort of see sort of your ethical behavior, um, how you respond to ethical scenarios, scenarios about medicine, um, scenarios about yourself, etc. in a bunch of small interviews instead of one giant interview with one person. And the reason for that is that by having a lot of in, uh, interviewers independently assess you, they found that that removes a lot of the implicit bias that can be in the interview process. And it also just gives you a chance to kind of show different aspects of yourself that might be harder to get across in just one giant block of interviews. But in terms of thinking about what an MMI actually looks like, you're usually gonna be rotating between different stations and you'll see that these different stations will harp on to different parts of what it means to actually be a doctor. So a big part of MMIs, as we mentioned, will be ethical scenarios. So often these are in the context of medicine. Um, so you can look online at some practice questions, but one example would be like, what if you have an elderly patient who has a terminal illness and their kids don't want you to tell them that they have a terminal illness and you're sort of battling between wanting to help the patient, but also, you know, respect the wishes of their loved ones and then also respect the duties you have as a doctor. So um, I think the major thing to think about as you're preparing for MMIs are sort of how you can quickly read a question prompt and come up with a good plan of action, given the fact that you don't have like a bunch of time to actually plan it out. So one thing that I found really helpful for thinking about MMIs was thinking about CASPER, um, if any of you had to do that, which is another mini standardized test that you'll often take in the summer before applying to med school and basically also test ethical scenarios. So what I found was really comforting for me was kind of just having a specific strategy to answer each of these questions, like thinking about, okay, let me make sure I understand the question and then let me make sure I talk about each person's side and then make sure that I present a, cohes a cohesive argument about what I think. Um, you can also use something like, books about MMI. So this is one that I use. I don't necessarily recommend buying it. Honestly, I think that you can probably find a lot of online resources, which we'll link below as well. But I think the point is that for MMI's practice is really important just to get comfortable with that. Um, but at the same time, also recognize that MMI's are stressful in a different way than traditional interviews because they're so fast. And usually like your best and worst score from each MM from one MMI station will be disregarded. So that's something to think about as well. The only other thing that I could add to um, my discussion of MMI is that I did encounter an MMI uh, uh, at an MSTP program where they had a specific um, question for MSTP students ethically. It was basically like discussing the challenges of um, CRISPR entering the clinic. So be, um, being abreast of developments 
um, and technologies that might make their way into the clinic, I think it's something helpful um, to be aware of. Um, and it's kind of hard to be in biomedical science and not have heard of CRISPR. And that's like why I think it was a fair game question. But um, it's just good to be aware of how science is changing, the, how science is gonna change the way we practice medicine is generally a good thing to be aware of, especially when applying MD-PhD. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think also just being aware of like the general principles that like medicine is built on that are important, like patient autonomy, like respect for justice and all those things are really key too. Cause I think most people implicitly like believe in those ideas and know these ideas, but it's nice to have like the terms there just so that you can explicitly reference them and use them as anchor points as you're explaining your answer to MMI questions. Of course, on the other end of the spectrum, there's also the traditional MD interviews. So you'll see that, um, as we discussed in our last video, these are somewhat similar to research um, interviews in the sense that you're both, um, both will kind of focus on what you've done. But I would say the traditional interviews tend to be a lot more focused on kind of like trying to understand who you are as a person more so than any specific accomplishment or research experience. So you'll often get questions sort of asking about how you maybe approach negative situations in your life, how you um, are as a leader, how you do with teamwork, and even more casual things that are meant to design, that are designed to help um, the interviewer get to know you. So for example, I often got asked like what my favorite movie was or what I like to do kind of when I was in New York um, between school and everything. And I think the most important thing for traditional interviews is just try to be authentic in answering those. Don't feel like if they ask you your favorite book, you have to say like Atul Gawande's like being mortal or something related to medicine. <laughs> like it's totally okay to say that like you write like like reading like kind of like trashy novels, which I do. Um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to be representative of who you are. Um, at the same time, that's not to say that you shouldn't prepare at all for traditional interviews. There's definitely questions that do come up a lot. Um, a big thing, for example, would be like why you want to be a doctor or tell me about yourself. And kind of just like with the research field, it's great to have spent some time um, beforehand kind of practicing that and getting that down because I'm sure um, why you chose to be a doctor or any question like that is a pretty complicated answer. But at the same time, you don't want to keep on going on and on and on and not have time for an actual dialogue and feedback. So try to work on maybe getting a concise two to three minute answer that is both genuine to you, but also condensed from all your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So besides um, them interviewing you, they become a resource for you to learn about the school too. So during the interview, it's great to take advantage of the opportunity to ask them questions. Um, specifically, I think um, particularly relevant is asking them about the clinical training at the school. Um, their clinicians obviously involved in the medical school and in interviewing students. Um, they have a vested interest in the training of the students. So they're a good person to ask about the clinical training that the school offers and what kind of training environments, what kind of hospitals do students rotate through and things like that. Um, they'll be a great person to ask for that perspective so you can learn more about the school. Definitely. And I think um, a related point to that is that it's especially important as an MD-PhD candidate, especially when you're interviewing with clinicians, that you show why you want to go into medicine. Because I think as MD-PhD students, we spend a lot of time on research and like a lot of time trying to also be a successful like PhD applicant to MD-PhD program. And you need to make sure that you have a coherent answer for like why you want to do medicine and that you're interested in the clinical resources and opportunities at that medical school, since that's really important, especially to people who are physicians um, primarily instead of physician scientists. So on the flip side, um, there's going to be the more PhD-like um, interviews. So um, we've 
briefly touched on it um, in the previous video towards the end, so make sure to check um, that out. But for these research interviews, um, some of them are um, purely for you to get a sense of that uh, PI and their lab because you were interested in them. So in some schools, those interviews have no bearing on your missions. Um, it's just a time for you to learn more about PI's work and just pick their brains about um, the work that you're interested in. Um, but some of those interviews uh, do count at other schools. So that the way that you're interacting with the PI, how you're explaining to them your research and their assessment of your research potential um, does come into play um, for the admissions committee. And if you just ask the current students there, um, they will tell you if the research interviews count or not, or, um, or if they don't count. Um, sometimes there are researchers that serve on the committee that decides um, admissions, so they will also be able to point out those members um, whose interviews um, will have bearing on your um, admissions decisions. Obviously, that's not to say that um, not to prepare for the ones that don't count, quote unquote, for your um, admission. But again, it's just a, such an exceptional opportunity to be able to meet great people doing cool science that you are interesting, you're interested in. So it's going to be ultimately just a waste for you if you don't maximize the potential of that interaction with that PI um, in not preparing. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Um, another good rule of thumb, if you're trying to identify like research versus like more MSDP council things, is, like if you see someone who you didn't request who has like super divergent research interests from you, chances are it's probably an MSDP council um, interview. But I think that kind of goes back to what Kenneth was saying in an earlier video about how it's really important that you know how to explain your research to someone who might not be in your field at all. So for example, one of my interviews, I interviewed with this awesome um, dermatologist, physician scientist, but our research interests were definitely super divergent, but we were still able to have really great conversations thinking about the overlap of our uh, interests and then also just like what it means to do an MD-PhD. So don't, don't just like turn off like your MD side of your brain where you're thinking about like what personal qualities you want to bring in and why you want to be like a physician and stuff when you go into these research interviews, because especially if you're meeting with an MD PhD, it's going to be important to still show that side of you um, in these interviews. Along the lines of having research spiel, um, one variation of that is to have a chalk talk. Some um, programs or some faculty like, to you, like for you to present um, your research in a chalk talk fashion basically meaning that you have um, basically just your, your words and you can draw on a whiteboard um, as a way to present your research. Um, I think in general, some good things to keep in mind is that I would suggest drawing as you go. That way you can add emphasis and show dynamic processes going on that you want to illustrate instead of drawing everything up first and then going through what you've drawn. Um, and in general, um, with all these interviews, um, always be looking out for um, body language feedback. Are, are they receptive to what you're saying? Do they seem lost? Do you need to come back to things? And I think it's helpful um, to ask um, at natural points where you've come to a subsection of your research and say, so this is what I've laid out for you so far. Do you have any more, do you have any questions or any more questions? Because naturally faculty often interrupt you with their questions already. Um, to say that this is a good checkpoint for us. Um, can I answer any more questions before I keep on going? And I think that shows that you're um, 
very interested in communicating well to the faculty and that bodes well for um, in general just research central I think we've all been in seminars where the communication was um, not as great as we want to and I think that's something that um, we all aspire to so it's a great chance to practice those skills and demonstrate um, that kind of skills um, in the setting yeah definitely um, I think the biggest thing to remember is that even though you're presenting to someone who might, you know, know your field very, very well, like we're all just human and we want to be interested in a research story. So like try to make sure that you're combining technical details still with like narrative. And I think a big way to do this is making sure it's always clear why you're doing the things you're doing. Because I know um, it's really easy and I've definitely done this in interviews to kind of get stuck in like the weeds of like this new method that you've created or this new experiment that you're doing. But you always want to make sure that it's clear why you're doing this and there's a clear trajectory to your research. Because I think you might have already seen from experience like those are the scientific talks that tend to make the most sense to us. And you want to make sure that you're kind of also laying out that sort of talk as you're giving this chalk talk interview. And if there's this case where your research interview doesn't end up being about research, just about a wide ranging meandering topic of conversation, like what do you like, you like to do for fun? That's totally okay too. Don't panic that you guys are not talking research. Again, the goals of these interviews is for the program to get to know you in whatever way they want to get to know you. And that maybe they're already convinced of your research potential and they don't want to see, and they don't need to see any more of that, but they just, want to know who you are as a person. So don't panic if you end up not talking about research at all in these interviews as well. It's not a red flag or anything. Definitely. Um, and I think that this is true, not only for like research interests with faculty, but also research interviews with maybe like directors of the program or program administration. Um, I remember being super nervous for my interviews at Harvard with the director of the HST MD program and also the MD PhD program because I thought they were going to drill me and do like a really elaborate chalk talk and the 10 minutes that were on my schedule with them. Um, but I think that um, really, especially for those administrative interviews, you'll see that those tend to be a lot more trying to assess fit with the program. So these are great opportunities to kind of learn a little bit more about the program from the perspective of someone who's leadership on it. But it's also a big opportunity to kind of get at like the stuff that isn't answered in either MD interviews or PhD interviews. So specifically like why you want to be an MD PhD, but especially why you want to train at that program, because like no one knows the mission of the program better than the actual administrators who run it. Um, at the same time, these interviews can be super scary and they tend to be pretty short, especially if the um, program admin is meeting with everyone and that's a pretty long day for them. So try to especially put aside your nerves for this because this is probably one of the more important interviews that you're going to be doing for an MD PhD interview. Um, it's not at most, it's not at all programs by any means, but I think it's a really great opportunity to try to be excited about getting face time with that leadership from the get-go because there are often awesome people who are choosing to dedicate their already split time as physician scientists to being a mentor and a leader and that's a really great position to be in to talk to someone like that. Yeah, absolutely. And also another rare type of interview would be um, the student interviews. So these can range dramatically from school to school in what capacity. It could be an MD kind of interview coming from a student, or it could be even an MSTB or MD PhD specific um, interview where an MD PhD student is interviewing you. So those, um, all the general advice uh, holds. The only thing I would want to add is that they're really a great resource to pick their brains about specifically being a student there. And I think that um, it's 
important to understand that in these interviews, the schools are trying to get a sense of fit. Are you, would be, would you fit here? Would you be happy or would you thrive here? And showing that you're trying to assess for yourself during the interview of the potential for you to fit at an institution and demonstrating how you would be able to leverage the resources of an institution, any unique advantages or unique opportunities that institution offers um, through, um, through these interviews and especially the student interview asking about such unique opportunities is really important um, and really um, a fruitful way to be approaching um, the student interview. So then there are some interviews that are kind of N of one. They exist at particular schools, um, most notably the WashU interview. Um, so the WashU interview, it's a committee interview of around 20 committee members. So the cool thing about that is that that 20 members will have interviewed everyone that cycle in the same format. So the format is as follows. You basically enter a room and there's 20 people sitting in a U-shape across a big table from you and you're just on the one side only and you're facing everyone. Um, it's a 10-minute interview um, where they ask you your motivations from a physician scientist and then to explain your research. This is where explaining your research at a high enough level where everyone around the table understands is really critical. Um, you don't want to lose members' um, interests or attention in using complex jargon or minutia that um, doesn't help them understand the broad picture of your research. So at least for me, the way I approached that question at the WashU interview was, I explained to them that in the beginning, um, my research interests really stemmed from developmental biology, that we all come from, that organisms develop from a one fertilized cell that goes through a series of divisions in a precise way that gives rise to an organism. And that process really fascinated me. And then I narrowed it to specifically the nervous system. And then I said I was studying C. elegans as a great model. And then I launched into my particular project still with abstract, um, so at an abstract level. So I, was, I told them that I was studying the nuclear morphology of developing neurons in C. elegans and then launched into my project from there. So they're talking about your project in particular. There's a couple of things that I think were important for me to highlight. I think the important, it was important for me to highlight what level of independence I had um, during a project. So for this one in particular, I um, was the only person working on this project and the PI allowed me to do um, the project as I saw fit. So, um, asserting the love of independence you had and communicate that in the way you talk about the work you're doing, I think is important. So using I, um, doing I did this, I did that. If you had collaborators on particular pro uh, parts of the project, it's important to acknowledge that and say, um, in collaboration with this person or with the help of this student, we then did this. Um, it shows that you are respecting the contributions of your fellow scientists and that you um, understand how to work collaboratively um, in a team environment. And I think it's important to be able to walk your audience from the conception of the project, how you're gonna address it, what problems you had in addressing it, how you address those problems, and then the final data you were able to collect, conclusions you're able to draw, and further steps um, that the data um, prompt. So showing that whole arc, even if it's only a small part of your project, or even not, it's not, even if you can only draw that arc 
for a small part of a project, I think it's important to be able to specifically just focus on that part of the project and draw that arc. So um, everyone around the table understands that you have a firm grasp of how science works. So I laid out a lot and this interview is actually only 10 minutes. So it can feel extremely daunting. Um, and a lot, and it's very, very understandable to have nerves come in this interview, but I think it's important just to remember they're generally very curious people themselves. They're scientists. They want to learn about what you're doing and they'll ask questions not to trip you up, but to make sure that they're following you along um, during the process. Given the time constraint, it's very easy to get tripped up by questions because you feel like you have a flow going, you have a plan, like what you want to say, and it might derail you. But just taking it in turn and taking it as an honest piece of feedback that they um, were unable to follow something and responding well to that feedback by re-explaining it to them in a way they understand is important yeah. as it is to complete the arc. So don't um, fear getting questions during this time, even though it's it is extremely nerve-wracking. I, I think that's a, a really good summary and I think that that advice laid out like definitely applies to just um, interviews in general with how to structure yeah. your research. So really thinking about how you go from like this high level idea and like how far back do you go to how specific you actually get into the details and as you can tell from Kenneth's thing it definitely depends on the audience you're working with. Um, talking to an audience of 20 <laughs> different scientists is definitely different than talking to someone who you might want to work with for a thesis and who knows your PI and has like a very very good idea of where you're coming from. So just remember that have a general research feel but also be flexible because how you present your story is going to change based on who you're actually talking to. Yeah, I guess the other kind of end of this would be having multiple students being interviewed by one person. Um, neither of us have actually directly experienced this, but this is called a panel interview and it's at some schools. Um, one of my friends interviewed for MD at Emory and they had this experience there. So we don't know too much about that. But if you have questions about it and you can't find someone who has had that experience, reach out to us and we can also try to help you navigate it. But um, I think just in general and something you'll see on MMI is that whenever you're in an evaluative situation where you're also like working or like in conversation with other applicants, just make sure that you're, of course, still practicing the usual interpersonal skills. So don't cut off people if they're talking. Make sure that you're still being like friendly and warm. Like, Definitely, I've seen not many, but a few people approach kind of these interview scenarios a little bit combatively or competitively. Um, but just remember, like, these people are, you know, also potential cohort mates or people that you'll meet at other interviews and you want to be as friendly and kind as possible, um, both to be a good person and also because these can definitely be good friends in the future. Absolutely. So the final, like, end of one thing that we want to talk about is try I. So um, at least the final one among the interviews we experienced. Um, so this is the sample poll that we're working with is Tri-Eyes. So Tri-Eyes was a one-day interview and it had five interviews. So it's a long day. So um, the advice from the previous video about bringing a snack is helpful here. Um, but so to lay out that day, so they have um, an MD interview, a traditional MD interview, and that um, is for this from Wall Cornell. And then you're going to have three research interviews um, with PIs um, from each of the participating tri institutions. That's Memorial Sloan Kettering, Wild Cornell, and Rockefeller. So you'll have an interview with a faculty from each of those institutions. And then finally, there's an interview that is with uh, what they call a clinician investigator. 
So basically a physician scientist whose primary appointment is clinical. The goal for, of that interview for TRI-I is to suss out um, if you understand what becoming a physician scientist entails, what kind of career you're considering um, moving forward with as a physician scientist, and how your research and clinical interests can intersect with that career. So that um, al allows you to flesh out more so than in any other interview, really why you want to become a physician scientist, how, how the training is going to enable you to do so, and what kind of career you will do once you have um, the training to become a physician scientist. Uh, it is a long day having those five interviews all in one day, in addition to breakfasts, lunch, presentations, and um, just meeting students and other people. Um, but just remember that generally people want to get to know who you are. So you just have to be yourself, just be prepared to answer their questions so you're not, uh, so you're able to um, show them all the different facets that come together to make up who you are. Definitely. And also, like, don't be hard on yourself if you're losing energy by the end of the day and you have, like, a 5.30 interview and you're just done because you've been up since, like, 6 a.m. Like, it's okay. Just do what you need to during the interview days, like, to take a little bit of time for yourself, even in the midst of everything. Like, I know, even though I'm, like, a pretty social person, usually, like, during those lunches that were just among the other interviewees, I would often just take some time just to kind of eat and like go on my phone and take a little breather um and that's totally okay too sometimes you just need to kind of reset so like don't be afraid to make some space for yourself even in the midst of a really hectic interview day um and then kind of going off of that also don't forget that these are long days for the people who are interviewing you it's definitely not as stressful as it is for us interviewees but also you have people taking time out of really busy schedules to meet with you. So try to send thank you cards um, after the fact. Um, these don't have to be handwritten thank you cards, but do try to send emails like as soon as you can, just because like this ultimately an interview is a collaborative process and like, you know, schools are thankful you're coming, but you should also be thankful that schools are, you know, making the time to interview you. So a thank you card goes a long way. Um, you can just really just say thank you for taking the time to meet you. If there's anything that really stands up for your conversation, you know, feel free to mention that, but try to remember to do that. Um, and I often did it on the travel home just because that way it's a nice thing to do when you're waiting in the airport. And also while you have those conversations fresh on the top of your mind, because you'll be meeting with so many people, it's really easy to forget like, wait, who did I talk to this about with? And it's nice to have those personal details in the letter. Yes, and the one thing I forgot to mention during um, when I was going over the long interview day was the fact that um, you're on a schedule, but sometimes the PIs don't necessarily know what that schedule is. So if your time is um, nearing its end, um, just politely signal or communicate in a way that this we need to start thinking about how we're going to wrap this up so I can get to my next interview on time. With that being said, being late to an, to an interview is not a death sentence. PIs also know that <laughs> PIs can run over time too, and that you're trying to get from one place to another. And this is obviously not your native, not your home institution, so you're, you're, you might get lost. And PIs are very forgiving and understanding um, of that also. Um, so while it's important to be aware of time, it's not going to be the end of you if you show up 15 minutes. Sorry, it's not going to be the end of you if you show up late to an interview. Yeah, very yeah. true. Definitely ask for help if you need help finding it. Um, it's funny that Kenneth said it's not our home institution because I was literally 15 minutes late to my interview at Columbia because I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and it was still fine and that was still a good interview so I think to be like, fair the Columbia <laughs> med school is uptown so we're not like up there so True. in some ways it, it isn't but but yeah exactly yeah I was like asking for a room number and people kept showing me where it was but it turns out it was not helpful because I was in the wrong building but anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, the last type of interview that we wanted to talk about is something that we have not experienced but should be applicable for this cycle, and that's the virtual interview. Um, as you may or may not have seen, kind of the double AMC has put out um, suggestions for residency interviews and presumably also med school interviews that they be held online as the COVID pandemic progresses. Um, but still, as much as you can, try to treat this as a normal interview, so make sure that you're still dressing well. Um, we didn't actually talk about this, but make sure that you, in general, the accepted protocol is that you are wearing a suit, um, uh, whatever you feel most comfortable in. Um, but um, you should definitely make sure that you're also wearing that on this interview. Try to make sure that you're still making eye contact. It's hard, and you'll see this is something we struggle with in our videos, but look at the webcam, not the person's face. Um, and just in general, any tips that apply to online interviews, even for jobs or anything, should apply here too. Um, we think that the biggest thing that will be different for these interviews is honestly more just an informational thing. It will be harder to get an idea of what these schools are like, of course, if you're interviewing remotely. Um, but at the same time, even though it's kind of frustrating, I'm sure, for everyone who's been preparing for this for a long time to feel like these interviews are now online, also recognize that hopefully by um, April or by March, revisits will be in person again. So you'll still have that opportunity. Um, and also, hopefully, this does make the process a little bit more equitable because one thing we have noticed is that it's so expensive flying to interviews and like MD-PhD, some schools pay, but some schools don't. And especially if you're not like on the East Coast or the West Coast, like a really hub of travel, it gets really prohibitively expensive to attend interviews. And even if money like wasn't an issue for someone, like it's still super tiring. So try to use to kind of see the benefits of this um, and hopefully know that it's going to be a learning curve for everyone. Virtual interviews will be different, but you can still put your best foot forward. And ultimately, that's what's going to matter the most. If you want to do a mock interview of any of the kinds of interviews that we discussed today here in this video, feel free to contact us um, and we'll be more than happy to arrange that. Definitely. So that's kind of summarizing what we have for interviews. But if you feel like there's anything we missed or any questions that you have, of course, feel free to contact us or drop us a comment below if you think it's something that a large group of people would benefit from seeing. And we look forward to interacting with you guys in the future.